Fan Jane, there you go. <laughs> Thank you too much. <laughs> Thank you guys for your gospel testimony. You know, I, I had read in church history about uh, the Great Awakening and how so many members would go and give gospel testimonies every Sunday, and it would just fuel revival in the church churches, and it would just be contagious to that whole region and the whole world. And I wonder how that would take how how that would be because gospel testimony is only about salvation. It's all about how they came to Christ. But now with our understanding of the gospel, it completely makes sense. Where it's not just about salvation, but gospel for the Christian life. And as Christians share how the gospel is affecting them, transforming their hearts, calming their fears, their anxieties, their insecurities, uh, forming their identities and their, their, their worth and value before God, and affecting their marriages and parenting, it really uh, uh, heightens the power of the gospel. It shows uh, the beauty of salvation, the beauty of the cross, and the work that God did for us. And so uh, I'm so blessed uh, by Ray and Jane this morning. And uh, you know, I, my vote is to keep that going. I would love to hear uh, just gospel testimonies every Sunday, members coming up and just sharing, just in some area of their lives, how, how God is showing his faithfulness to them through his son, through the cross of Christ. Well, it is really an exciting time for our church. It really is. Uh, there is a, a renewal, a revival occurring in the hearts of the believers in this church. And we have nothing to boast about because it is completely not a work of man. I had nothing to do with this. Uh, Bob, all the leaders. In fact, we have been uh, ones... Uh, holding the Holy Spirit back. We've been the ones kind of a, a stumbling block to the, of, of the Holy Spirit. And so in spite of us, God is doing it in our midst. And so it is a, a great time, exciting time, where uh, so many are growing in their understanding of the greatness of God's holiness uh, and growing in the knowledge of the extent of their sinfulness, so much so we are seeing sin in the most unexpected place, uh, seeing sin in our righteousness, just like Ray shared. He is now seeing sin as he's doing dishes for his family. Uh, that's really hard to see, right? Especially for a guy. You do dishes and you don't see sin there. You just see righteousness. But only to the gospel can you see sin while you're serving your family, while you see a good marriage, a good marriage relationship. But mostly we're learning and growing in our understanding of the depth of God's love and mercy to us continually through the cross of Christ. And uh, it is not a one-time thing. It is a daily, moment-by-moment thing, um, discovering that our God is a sin-pardoning God. And uh, it changes, uh, it's changing our hearts. It's changing our, our relationships, changing our fellowship, changing our prayer life changing our evangelism, and it is not a program, it's not a, a man-induced effort, it's the Holy Spirit through the cross, so it is organic, it is systemic in our church, and it is uh, like synergistic, it is exponentially happening in our church, and we are just thrilled and um, just humbled at, at God's goodness to us, and we just want to uh, do what a catalyst for all of this is just simply trusting in Christ. 
It's not working harder. It's not laboring more. It's not ministering more or serving more. It's just simply depending upon Him, abiding in Christ, and we will bear much fruit. It's also an exciting time in terms of our growth as a church. We have several who have come to Christ recently in our, in our midst. Um, and we, you know, yet last Sunday, man, our dear leaders, we were here till like 3 in the afternoon, 4 in the afternoon. You guys are home. You guys are playing basketball, watching the Colts game, the Vikings game, some game. And you guys are playing games. And we were here interviewing our, our new members. And we were here till 4 because we have almost or over 40 new members joining our church. And, um, you know, this is not counting babies, <laughs> not counting the little ones. And uh, it's just exciting to see God grow the church in that way as well. And then uh, this past weekend, uh, we just had our leadership conference and uh, a wonderful, a wonderful time. So much, so I don't know if I could share this or not, but I saw like liquid coming out of uh, Min's eyes. <laughs> right? And uh, Han's eyes as well. I haven't seen anything glistening from Han's eyes. In years, and only the gospel can do that. These two, like, <laughs> authentically Korean men, <laughs> and have things flowing down their eyes. Grace of God is powerful. They're not here, so I can share that again in second hour. And so, uh, it's a great time. So we want to continue in our theme of this weekend about uh, leadership in the church. And just share with you four simple points. Four simple points to kind of lead us through our study. First is the challenges of spiritual leadership. And then responsibilities of leaders toward members. And responsibilities of members toward leaders. And how the gospel redeems that relationship. So, challenges and the responsibilities of leaders and members. And how the gospel redeems Rescues that relationship. So first of all, church leadership. Uh, old story. You've heard it many times. Mom wakes up, wakes her son up for church, and he tells her son, "Wake up! You need to go to church." And the son says, "Well, I don't want to go because oh, oh, Hans here. All right, <laughs> Hans here. All right, good, You're good. I got a victim here, a victim second hour too. So that's good." <laughs> um, so, I don't want to go to church, Mom, because uh, they, don't, they make fun of me. You know, they tell jokes about me. Uh, they treat me like they're a slave. They talk behind my back. And the mom said to the son, but you have to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> right? It's funnier for me because that's, <laughs> that's where I live. For you, it's kind of like somebody else, but that's me. Right? Well, you know, we, we it's funny because... There's some truth to that, right? Being a leader in the church, it's a very, very difficult thing. It's a challenging thing. It's a humbling, humiliating thing. And why is it so challenging? Why is it so difficult? A few reasons. Uh, It's because everybody's a sinner, you yourself included. You know, one of the perfect titles for a book on marriage is uh, by Dave Harvey, When Sinners Say I Do. And so just the title reminds you that marriage is not this institution where you get into it and you put this ring on and it changes you. And you become these two righteous people and you have this great life together. No, it's two sinners saying I do. 
And the problem of marriage is not in the institution of marriage. The reason for conflict and divorce is not anything wrong with marriage, but it's the people that enter into it. Same thing for ministry. Same thing for the church. Nothing wrong with the church, but it's all of us that make up the church. We are sinners. Two groups of sinners coming together. Leaders who are sinners and members who are sinners. So our sinfulness makes ministry difficult. Our sinfulness. And so, like parents, you understand this. Parenting is so hard because as you raise your children, you confront, you find you're such an angry person. When you're single, man, you were the nicest, gentlest, kindest, most loved. Everybody loved you. And you become a parent, and all of a sudden, you have this rage. <laughs> right? So you're like, when we're kids, Mom, why are you so angry? <laughs> it's because of us. They weren't angry until we came. We were born, and their anger came out. Likewise with us. Why, where did this anger come from? It's because it's, provo- it's brought out by our children. And not just anger, but our pride and our impatience and our unkindness and our self-righteousness comes out. I had to confess you know, to, to Ethan this past Thursday because I had disciplined him out of anger. And it was so humiliating, confessing my sins to a four-year-old. And I'm crying and he's like, you know, he's like you know, picking something and he has no <laughs> idea what's going on. And like... <laughs> And I'm confessing my self-righteousness. You know, how can I discipline him in anger? I discipline him under the authority of the scriptures, but my anger reveals I think I'm better than him. When I, and the reality is I'm just as sinful as he is. Hard to believe sometimes, but I am. Right? And so that's why it's so difficult. As we lead in the church, our sinfulness doesn't go away. Ministry doesn't minimize our... It, magnif- it brings it out. It intensifies it. It grows it. It multiplies it. And more and more we, we minister, more and more we counsel, more and more we shepherd. We have to deal with our own sins that's just growing in our hearts. Now, both groups are sinful. Not only are the leaders sinful, but members are sinful. And I don't have to say too much here, do I? Right? <laughs> Pretty obvious that our members are sinful. Right? Very obvious. Uh, this is why Ministry is so difficult. Why is ministry so difficult? Because of people. Now, why are people so difficult? It's because of sin. So if it wasn't for sin, and that's heaven. In heaven, there's no sin. It'd be just joy. Until then, ministry is nearly impossible. Really, it's the most difficult thing. You, your care group leaders, what, they, what they do for you, it's the most difficult thing in the world because you, know, you can go to work and I mean, I touched this many times. You can have the worst attitude as a doctor and be a great doctor. You can have the the most greatest sinful attitude in your heart and maybe make you a better lawyer, right? <laughs> you know, with all that's in your heart, you can go to work and no problem. But when you care for God's people, you can't bypass your heart. And so you have to receive the gospel and minister the gospel as a sinner, and that's the most difficult and impossible job in the world. And, and the prevailing sense through it all is our constant and abiding sense of inadequacy. Right? Constant and abiding sense of inadequacy because 
in ministry, there is no formula. Like parenting, we want a formula. One plus one is two. So when we're young, we think, when we give, you know, first babies, you think there's a formula. If I just do A, B, C, my kids will, you know, turn out perfectly. And then you enter into parenting, you feel so lost because nothing works. Nobody has the answers. There are no steps to a perfect child. Well, likewise in ministry, right? There's a sense of inadequacy because there's no formula. There are no, there are no steps. And the person you have to please is God. Pleasing people, in a sense, is easy. I mean, easy. But pleasing God through our ministry, through our works, is impossible. So much so Paul said it's in Corinthians 2 and 3. Right? Who is adequate for this? Who is adequate for ministry? So no one who's doing ministry walks with a swagger. Right? Only those guys who just graduated seminary. On their first day, they walk with a swagger, and then God humbles them. For the rest of their lives, they walk, walk with a limp. Nobody's doing ministry with people who walks with a swagger. They walk with a limp constant prevailing sense of inadequacy. I mean, it goes to every area. I mean, Moses said in Exodus 4, you know, about his speech, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's, in every area, there's a sense of inadequacy. And then, uh, ministry, the most difficult thing is uh, ministry easily leads, leads us away from Christ. And that's the occupational hazard of being a care group leader, a small group leader, maybe an elder, a pastor, a deacon, admin. Ministry doesn't draw you toward Christ. It leads you away. I mean, so many ways. Because all of a sudden you think your ministry is your righteousness or ministry is your faith. And so your, your deception grows. Your understanding of your faith is is confused and, 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 and compromised because you, you confuse what you do with, with, with your faith. Uh, and you don't see sin in your righteousness. And the busyness of ministry, busyness of work, it easily leads you astray. And then and the main thing is, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a Christian, just a member, you can love God for nothing. It's the first love. You just simply love Jesus. And so all of you here, if you're members, you came this morning because you love Jesus. You're sitting because you love Jesus. If, if you are, have your Bibles open, if you have, you're taking notes, whatever. If you're listening, it's because you love Jesus. But if you're a leader, all of a sudden, oh, I got to go to church because I'm a leader. Oh, I, gotta, I can't follow asleep during Jesus' message because I'm a leader. I got to have my Bible open because I'm a leader. I got to pretend I'm listening because I'm a leader. I got to smile because I'm a leader. So you do all these things for ulterior motives all of a sudden. Right? I gotta I gotta do I gotta be hospitable because I'm a leader, I gotta do all these things. And you're not serving God for nothing. You're serving God, right? With an agenda, with an ulterior motive. And that's in everything you do in, in your life. Right? And so that leads you away from Christ. That's why Revelation four, you have forsaken your first love. Consider for the height from which you had fallen. Right? Go back to what you did at first. When you were a baby Christian, you just loved Jesus and you did it. But now you're so godly, you're so wise, you're so biblical. Right? You know so you do so many things, but now 
You're doing everything for those reasons. You have forsaken your first love. Repent. And this is why ministry is so, so difficult. So understand, the, the men and women that care for you, that serve you, that minister to you, they are doing a, a difficult, if not impossible job. So uh, how are members, how are you to relate to leaders? How are you, especially if you're new to our church, how are you to view those who are caring for your souls, serving you spiritually? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. Paul calls the members, Christians, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Respect those who labor among you. The, the word respect is uh, can be translated appreciate. Right? Love them. Acknowledge them. Affirm them. Not only that, hold them in the highest regard. Esteem them. And the ones you are to esteem is are those who labor among you. Those who are personally caring for you. And esteem them, not because they are special. They are not. I am not. We're not special. And you guys, if you know me, you know I'm not special. Right? I'll, give you, I'll show you my high school GPA to show how like, you know, mediocre I am. You know, I, my mom, you talk to my mom and she'll tell you stories where I, you'll know, convinced that I'm, I'm below average in every, every sense of the word. Appreciate your leaders. Esteem them. Affirm them. Not because they are special, but because what they do is so special. Because of their work, verse 13, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because they do this special work, this difficult work, demanding, challenging labor of what? Caring for your souls. And who cares for your souls in this world? Who cares for your heart? Who cares for your walk? Who generally uh, has an interest of Christ where their intention is to labor so that you might grow in understanding God's grace, love, and mercy. I think so many uh, Christians unintentionally hurt uh, their leaders, and they they unknowingly violate First Thessalonians five. Um, they don't outright disrespect leaders, but they appreciate and they affirm and respect leaders of other churches or other ministries or other care groups. You know, I, I remember doing this, came home and talked to my parents about how uh, wealthy my friend's parents were and what vacations that they went on and uh, how like these parents were so good to their children. And they had all these toys and all these things. And then my sister's three years older and she like gave me that look. I'm like, what's going on? And later she told me, and then, did you see mom and dad when you said those things? I'm like, what? You hurt them by saying those things in, to our parents. And like, it didn't hit me until like six years later. <laughs> right? That's a boy. You don't, you don't connect people's feelings in your words. 
that's right. That's so dishonoring, disrespecting to my parents. They're working hard. They're loving me. And yet I go to them and say, Mom and Dad, man, I know my friend's parents are so good, so much better than you. I love them, right? (laughs) So, uh, sin of ignorance. But I think that happens in our church. Happens with our members, right? We tell tell the husbands of our church that the standard of beauty is your wife, right? You have eyes only for her, and she's the most beautiful woman in the world. She's the best cook. She's the best helpmate. She's the best mom. She's the wisest woman. We tell the wives of our church, your husband is the godliest man you know. He's the wisest man. He's the most faithful man, diligent man. You respect him, right, because of Christ. He is the funniest man you know, right? And so my wife, she'll say I'm the funniest, but she also says I used to be funnier, (laughs) <laughs> so right, she she says I'm the funniest. So she she she's consistent with that. But says James, you're, you're kind of losing your game a little bit. Um, well, likewise, your care group leader should be in your eyes, right? Most loving, godly, humble, patient, you know, God-fearing person you know. Your care group leader, your the small group leader as well. Why? Because they are laboring over you. They are, you know how hard it is to serve you and care for your hearts and pray for you and lose sleep over you and they're anxious in, in serving you. No one's doing that in the world, right? Everybody else, they're doing it to get something. Your leaders are doing it for nothing. They're doing it because of the gospel. So your res- response to them is to hold them in the highest regard and to appreciate them. Secondly, to to remember them, to think of them, to consider their lives and their instruction. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Do not uh, neglect to get together. Uh, Do not let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some. All the more is the day drawing near. So the church is God's institution that God created, and that is the body of Christ. It is God's will for us to be members of one another in the local church as living stones built up on the foundation of Christ. And in that li- uh, building, living stones, God has given leaders, spiritual guides, teachers, counselors, elders and pastors, in our context, care group leaders as well. And in Hebrews 13:7, it says, Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And that is your responsibility. It is proactive following. It is not passive where the leaders come and chase you down and do catechism. They, they, they ingrain doctrine in life. No, you are proactive. You are looking at them. You are listening to them. You are considering them. You're actually listening. And you're remembering. You're not, it's not in one ear or out the other. Right? You're not just glossing over uh, uh, Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings. No, you're, consider, you're concentratingly considering their lives, their, hearing their instructions, looking at the outcome of their lives, and you want to make it your own. It hangs heavy upon your heart, and you remember their teachings. You remember what they said. And it leads you and guides you. 
it shapes your character, your personality, your relationships. And in that way, you imitate their way of life. And, and so many do this, do this well in our church. I mean, I, that is true. And we see, by God's grace, our, our fingerprints in your hands. And it's not us lording over it and forcing it, but it's this proactive way where you are watching and learning and growing and following because it is the will of God. Thirdly, down in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, it says, uh, let's turn there, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Allow your leaders to serve you with joy, not with pain. How do you do that? By obeying them, by submitting to them. And we're, we need to be careful. We're not, and it's not obedience that is a blanket obedience. It is not an obedience that goes beyond the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 4, 6. We are not to go beyond the scriptures as we lead the congregation. So although at times I am tempted like to follow the example of Reverend Moon and match up all our singles and have this one great ceremony where all of you get married, right? I, I don't do that, although I'm tempted because that will be going beyond what is written. That will be lording over. We don't we don't have the authority to tell you how to live your life. We don't have the authority to make decisions for you, to take this job or that job, right, or make this decision. We have absolutely no authority. If you ask, we'll give you counsel, our thoughts, our experiences, our wisdom, but we don't tell you what to do. But in terms of the church, the functioning of the church, in terms of theology and church's church life, that is our responsibility. And that is what members submit themselves to. So we say, you know, church starts at 9 o'clock. Right? We have church, we're going to meet, we're going to have a retreat. You know, we're going to have care groups on Wednesday or Thursday. Or we're going to have a prayer meeting. Or we're going to go to Czech Republic in Mexico. This is all church life. And I know, we know everybody has a priesthood of believers. We all have equal access to God. No one is a grandchild of God. We're all children of God at equal access. But in the church, God has established leaders for the functioning of the church so that we will be one organism moving in unity, continuing for the gospel as one man with one playbook. So when the leaders of the church say, hey, we're going to make a concentrated effort towards LTF or towards giving towards Haiti or towards caring for orphans and widows and the church you're not telling me who to marry. You're not telling me what I can watch or not watch. You're not telling me what songs I can listen to or sing. But you are saying for the church, this is God's will. So as a member of this church, I'm there. I'm lining up. I'm hypotasso. I'm lining up because this is what the Word of God says. Right? That's how you are to relate to the leaders. And then finally, love and pray for your leaders. Right, 1 Thessalonians 5.25 Brothers, pray for us. Right? Brothers, pray for us. 
2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 3. Brothers, pray for us. that The word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. 2 Timothy 1, 16 and 18. This is for us how the church at Ephesus sent him to find Paul while he was in chains, to refresh him, encourage him, minister to him, and bring, bring gifts. So what, are you, what, what, what should you do to your leaders? Pray for them because their job is so difficult. Right? Care for them, serve them, and love them. You know, like your leaders, you know how like when you're kids, you're, you see your parents as human beings, and then it's only after like you move out and you get married, you realize, wow, my parents have needs. Like, it's for God. That's how I, I view my parents. They're people, right? They need love. They're weak. They're struggling too. They have burdens, right? Um, for me, like growing up, teachers were the enemy, right? It was us against them. And I realized, I mean, teachers in our church, wow, teachers are people too, right? You guys have feelings. You guys have life outside the classroom. But likewise with your ministry leaders, we're human beings. We're relational beings. We're social beings. Love your leaders. Love Bob. They love me too, but love Bob. <laughs> love your elders. Love your pastors. Okay, so let's go to the leader's responsibility. How are we to relate to you? And we're kind of running out of time. I want to get this done. First uh, Peter 5. Please turn there. 1, one 2, and 3. Um, here is Peter addressing elders, but elders... Uh, um, encapsulate uh, and model all of leadership in the church. These commands, uh, directions are given to elders, but in application it applies to every single spiritual leader of every church uh, throughout the world, right? So uh, it applies to us. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being example, examples to the flock. So Peter calls himself a fellow elder, and he says, shepherd the flock of God, exercise oversight, feed the flock of God, and so this is uh, going back to John 21. Jesus said, you, Peter, you denied me three times. Do you love me? Lord, I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend my lambs. Love for God means you'll love the church. And loving the church as a leader means you care for God's people. And how do you care for them? It's a uh, micromanagement where you... <laughs> Feed the flock. You teach them the word of God. You, you, you exposit the gospel. You apply the gospel. You proclaim the word about Jesus Christ. And you give them oversight, a comprehensive macro management. You care for them. You guard them. You protect them. You warn them. You rebuke them. Because you love them. And then, this is personal management. You're an example. Right? You model the truth. Right? You don't say one thing and do another like the Pharisees. Right? You model the gospel, which is what? Which is, you're a sinner, and your boast 
is your reliance on the cross. Right? Any good thing in your life is by grace. Right? Anything good, anything that is noble, praiseworthy, is not produced by yourself because you're special. No, it's produced because it's by grace through faith. You model that to your people so that they have hope. Right? They have encouragement. They're blessed because that hope is with them as well. The negative is not lording over them, right? not being a, a dictator, not dominating over them, being high-handed, right? abusing authority, but being examples instead. And then the motivation of, of leaders is um, uh, willingly, right? Willingly doing this. It's the idea is uh, he sets his heart not for sordid gain, not under compulsion, but with eagerness. King James Version says willingly. Uh, the, the translation is not strong enough. Literally, the, the Greek word denotes um, compulsive zeal. Enthusiastic devotion. It's like a fanatic. Somebody who is like fanatical about serving and caring for souls. That's how intense uh, leaders are to serve God's people in the church with this great enthusiasm. Right? Volitionally. Willingly. Voluntarily. They're not doing it begrudgingly. Right? If you love the Lord, His commands are not a burden. Oh, loving others is not a burden when you Understand the love of God. It's a joy. It's a thrill. It's a privilege to serve and love God's people. And the reward is unfading crown of glory. Now, I want to get to this and, and conclude here. This is the principles, how members are to relate to leaders, and leaders are to relate to members. But uh, because we're sinners, this relationship often goes sour. It often goes bad. Right? So every wedding, there's everybody's happy. A lot of weddings go sour. Some marriages, a lot, of, a lot of marriages, and some marriages end up in divorce because of sin. This happens in the church, and I'm sure if I were to like take time and interview you, you all have testimonies of how you had a relationship with a leader and it went sour. Right? It went bad. It maybe even ended up in divorce, relationally, where you don't talk to that leader anymore. Right? You have resentment and bitterness and anger and frustration, so on, because of what that leader did or said or didn't do. And so now you hold your cards close to your chest and you don't you guard your heart and you don't trust leadership because of these experiences. And uh, I've been on both sides, you know, of the court here. I, I've been a I've been a I've been a under leader when I was first saved. I was in a a campus ministry that was very legalistic, very authoritarian, very cultural, and I had a leader that was all three. Right? It was very, it was very, very Korean, right? very Korean. Went to missions to Korea, and went as a team. And the Korean people wouldn't believe that he was from America because the way he was acting and the way he was dressed. So they asked him to speak English, and they said they still didn't believe him because their English was better than his English. <laughs> Like, yeah, he's from America. Yeah, like, yeah. They believe me, but not him, right? So, so he's my leader, and he's had a difficult time. You know, it's so our relationship went sour. Now, you know, I, I love him, but 
Yeah, a really difficult time. And then I'm on the other side where, um, you know, I've crossed the line in caring for people. I've abused my authority. I've uh, lorded over people. I've gotten angry. You know, I've, I've sinned against people, just like I sinned against my wife or my children. I've sinned against members. I'm on both sides. And so where is the hope? How do we redeem this relationship for in Christ's church? And uh, it's through the gospel. I mean, it is through the gospel. Gospel uh, rescues this relationship, redeems it, and, and gives us hope where we can have this relationship in one church and, and there's joy, there is favor, there is health, there is vitality, and, there is, and it brings glory, uh, favor to all men and glory to God. And so just uh, I, I, we need to go over the gospel. I know time's limited. We need to go over it really briefly. And for me, the gospel is just three points. I shared this this Friday night with the, the leaders of, of both churches. The first point of the gospel is that God is sovereign. He's a thrice holy, righteous, and just God. He is a God that is so holy. He has Psalm 711, indignation, hatred for sinners every single day. He has unbridled anger towards sin and unrighteousness. This is what churches in America overlook the most. Many American churches are in effect paying their pastors to protect them from this real God of the Scriptures. They're paying them to deceive them. They're paying them to lie to them and to proclaim a God that is not consistent with the Scriptures. Not only that, the second part of the Gospel, second point is that we are far more sinful and wicked than we had ever imagined. Our depravity is so pervasive that it's has corrupted even our most righteous parts, even our most righteous deeds, even our most excellent prayers, our singing to God, our reading of Scripture is tainted and corrupted by our sin, our selfishness, our pride. So a, a young believer sees themselves as little sinners. More we mature in the gospel, we discover how a greater sinners we are. I think I have a quote for Jonathan Edwards. Is it there? Right, Jonathan Edwards wrote this. When I, is it, is it there? No, it's not there. Then I'll read it for you guys. When I look into my heart and take a view of its wickedness, it looks like an abyss infinitely deeper than hell. Jonathan Edwards says, when I look into my heart, I see an abyss deeper than hell. That's what the gospel produces. It reveals to us how sinful we are. The third truth of the gospel is, that God's mercy is greater than our sins. God's mercy is greater. The gospel tells us that He is so loving, so kind, so merciful, that in love He has forgiven us of all our sins. And that is the power for our salvation, and that is the power for our Christian life. The power for the Christian life is not who God is. It's not His anger towards sin and trying to cram in to our consciences God's law and the fear of God, to tweak our will to obey God. That's not the solution. The way to live the Christian life is to cram into our hearts the mercy of God and the truth of our forgiveness. And when we are set free from our guilt and shame and our self-condemnation and our repeated failures, then we are liberated to love and worship God. And I think this is a quote that we have 
Horatius Bernard said this, It is forgiveness that sets a man working for God. It is forgiveness that sets a man working for God. He does not work in order to be forgiven, but because he has been forgiven, and the consciousness of his sin being pardoned makes him long more for his entire removal than ever he did before. The second quote is from J.C. Ryle. A sense of having our sins forgiven is the mainspring and lifeblood of love of Christ. The only way to make men holy is to teach and preach free and full forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The secret of being holy ourselves is to know and feel that Christ has pardoned our sins. Peace with God is the only root that will bear the fruit of holiness. Forgiveness must go before sanctification. And then finally, the quote that uh, Jane said as well, she got it right, John Owen. So if I quoted like uh, a seeker guy, then you guys would be like, oh, of course, you know, those liberals will say it, talk about God's love. But we're quoting John Owen, who wrote The Death of God, Death of Death and the Death of God. Right? He wrote Sin and Temptation. He was a Puritan pastor. And this is what he wrote in his book, Communion with God. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you and I can do to God is not to believe that He loves you. That's the greatest sorrow you can heap upon God, the greatest unkindness you can show to our Father. Where He says to the Gospel, I have demonstrated my love for you by sending you my Son, and you say, but God, you are so holy, and I am such a sinner, and I sinned this week. And God says, but I have given you atonement. I've given you my best. Your sins are forgiven. But God, I am such a sinner. I am so riddled with guilt. But I have loved you with an everlasting love. You are saved not by your works, but my work. Oh, but God, no, no, I'm a sinner. I can't come to you. I can't live for you. Because you are so holy, and I am such so sinful. And when we do that, we are heaping sorrow upon the heart of God. Because we refuse to come to Him on the basis of grace. We want to hold on to our own righteousness and pay penance for our own sins. And stand before Him from a posture of pride. How does this amazing gospel redeem this relationship between leaders and members? It redeems where the gospel melts your hearts. And you see that the leaders over you, that they're not here to proclaim the law, they're not here to enslave you, they're not here to be dictators over you and, and force you and, and manipulate you and, and and, and ruin your life, you see to the gospel that your leaders are here to mediate the new covenant gospel, to give you Jesus Christ and the freedom that comes with Him. Your view of your leaders as the enemy, as us and them, is transformed as they're here for my good. They're on my side. They love me because God loves them and God loves me. And so your heart is transformed in your view of your leaders, your elders, your pastors. And so you no longer fear your leaders or are intimidated by them. You're not, threat, you're, not, you're not restless around them. But your heart is at peace because God completely accepts you. And then for leaders, it redeems the relationship because we see our own sinfulness. Just like what Bob said, 
what can we say? I'm a sinner just like you. You're addicted to that. Well, I'm not shocked because I'm addicted to five other things, right? I'm worse than you in so many ways. There's no posture of pride or self-sufficiency or ego because the cross mortifies that. And so when we approach members, it's a completely different posture. And instead, the gospel creates in our hearts humility, gentleness, long-suffering, patience, and being a servant, washing feet. So the gospel changes the members' hearts, and the gospel changes the leaders' hearts, and as we continue to be gripped by the gospel of grace, then redeems this relationship and makes the church beautiful. God, we do thank you for the gospel of your son. We see now what went wrong with our previous leaders and what went wrong when we were leaders was because our sins were not kept in check by the gospel. We tried to perfect ministry by our own strength and we ruined it all. But now through the gospel, we have hope. We have hope because the gospel transforms our hearts and puts us in a whole different place where we can uh, serve you and grow together in the church. Or may that be the case here at Cornerstone. Just so that in unity, we might truly uh, grow and uh, love you and love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.